Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Anybody can take the elevator ride to the top, but it takes hard work. And today's guest, Tessa Greenspawn, goes from the outhouse to the penthouse. Tessa, welcome. I read your entire book. Whoa. That's good. I'm so glad you did. I mean, my goal is to encourage, inspire, and just really help people to know that never give up. It's not where you came from. It's where you're going. Yeah. And you know, last time we spoke, you said something that very much stayed with me. You said that your mother, who you wrote the book to honor, was like a mother and a father to you. Absolutely. I never had a, a father role model at all, ever. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. You, that you have one. That's really wonderful. I mean, it was really nice to hear some of the podcasts that your dad was ending it and that you went to him all of your life. How wonderful. And I can be thankful too that, you know, my mother was that role model for me. But, you know, you're really, you can be thankful and grateful. I think, yes, that is definitely something that we all need to be. Mm -hmm. But I am a little bit jealous of like how fondly you speak of your mom. You know, what an incredible life that she has lived. Let's start there. Tell me about your mom. I mean, her story is truly remarkable. It, it really is. And she had a wisdom beyond anything I could have even imagined. She had an eighth grade education, but she was wise, which was really unique. Isn't that something that actually reminds me of my dad's mom? You know, she didn't go to college, but her wisdom and the way that she communicated in the world and the amount of books that she read, her wisdom stayed with her until she's 93 right now. Oh, wow. Well, my mother read too, and she was so ahead of the curve in like think and grow rich. And as a man thinketh, I mean, when I was a young girl, this is really it. I think knowledge is really a, an advantage when you're reading. And that's how I learned many things is by reading it. You know, I would go to the library every two weeks and read different things. That's great. Were you one of those kids to put the book under your cover and turn the flashlight on and read at night? No, I actually, I read more when I'm, when I was 17, 18 and on. I mean, I've been a lifelong learner and I went to every college in this area at taking courses. So didn't have a college degree, but I have more probably college than most people. Yeah. I love that. And tell me the story about how you met Bob Proctor. Well, this is, I've known Bob Proctor for many years. I've taken a lot of his courses and most of them online. Really, this is how I, I wrote the book. I wrote the book in one month. I worked on it night and day because I was going to a week-long matrix self-development in Toronto. 
So, I mean, I planned this for such a long time, but when I decided to write the book, I thought, you know, it would be great if Bob Proctor wrote the foreword. So I put that on the cover before I even went there. Now, he had not met me in person at all. So I wrote the book, worked night and day on the book, and I had help. I had an editor and I had a person who would correct things. So, I mean, I didn't actually do it by myself. So I put on the cover forward by Bob Proctor. Now, it was just a manuscript, though, with a cover. And when I got to Matrix after two days, I gave him the flash drive manuscript. And I said, would you consider writing the forward for my book? And he did. He read the book and he wrote, he wrote a great forward. So that's manifestation. That is manifestation. You know, you put out there what you want. If it didn't happen, I could have changed the title, but you know, I just had a feeling he would. (laughs) I love that. Are there things that really spoke to you about him? I know he recently passed. So this is kind of a nice way to even honor him. Yes, it is. Well, many things, you know, what you think about comes about is one of the things and everything is energy. And it's so true. There's so many things that he learned from him. And he he was really great. He could stand up and talk for the longest time without any notes or books. I mean, it was really. And to spend a week with many people digging deep and diving in was really a great experience experience. Yeah. Like when you first met him in person, what was that interaction like? Well, it wasn't really outstanding at all. You know, he was, there were a lot of people, there were like a hundred people there. So, I mean, there were a lot of people, but he wrote the foreword. He read the book and wrote the foreword. Now that is really something that I will treasure because most, you know, one, when you're quite well known, you don't have a tendency to read a book and write a foreword. But that's how gracious he was. And this is a good lesson for all of us to be gracious. No matter what you've achieved in your life, be gracious because there are people up and coming. Help those that haven't achieved it yet. That's a really good lesson. I love that. Oh, my daughter just came in here, but she went out. I was going to say you could meet her. Celia, you want to say hi? Here she comes. You can meet my daughter really quick. What is her name? Celia. She's also a star of this show. Hold on. Wow. She did my makeup. I even slept in it from last night. Hold on. Hi. Hi, Celia. So you're part of the star of the show also. What a beautiful girl you are. I bet you're smart too, aren't you? (laughs) You want to tell her the quote that you came up with yesterday? This is so funny. I told her we were listening to a podcast together and on a podcast where I was interviewed over a year ago before I launched this show, the host had asked me what my favorite quote was. And I said, I love the quote. I was once beautiful, but now I'm myself. And then Celia was like, oh, you need to change that. And what did you change it to? I was once beautiful and I still am. That's the way. That's really good. So you got it, honey. That's good. What you say to yourself is so important too. You know, don't say I used to be. You are. You know, I am still young. (laughs) Yeah. Are there things that you tell yourself that really keep you going? Well, I meditate every single morning. I, I have a whole process that I do. I meditate every morning. I write things. I have readings that I do. And then I have some like brain tap. I have a lot of different things because I really want to live at peak potential all my life. Then I write in my journal and then five things at least. And this is a great thing for you to do, Celia. And that is to write five things that you're thankful and grateful for for that day. 
or period, what you're thankful and grateful for. And it's amazing if you do it before you go to sleep, how it really percolates in your mind. And the more you're thankful and grateful, the more you have to be thankful and grateful for. Yeah, actually, last time we spoke too, you were saying, what do you tell your kids before bed? And I was like, oh no, you were saying how important that is. Did your mom say things to you before you went to sleep? Where did you get that from? I don't know. Well, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm a positive, lifelong learner in positivity, first of all. And I've been a great student of the mind and the brain or what makes us tick and how we can live very well and to the top of our potential. She gives me lots of creative ideas. Okay. I'm going to kick you out now. Nice meeting you, Celia. Nice to meet you too. Okay. So since we brought up the book, I would love to talk about the book. I think that there are highlights that, that are really important and inspiring. And as we said earlier, that I wrote the book to honor my mother. I would not be who I am without her guidance and wisdom and belief in me. And that's really important too. You know, I knew I could do anything. And she said to me, you can do anything. And really it all started, and I'll go back to the beginning. It all started, she was born in the back hills of Arkansas in a shack with a hard dirt floor, no electricity, no running water, and an outhouse out back. And that's, there were like seven kids in that little bitty shack. (laughs) Every fall, the kids would get in a wagon and they would go to a picnic. And in the fall, when crops were in, they would all go meet other farmers and go to a clearing and bring food and had a great time. So they had something to look forward to every single year. And she met this really cute guy and they were walking and talking and just having a good time. And she was 14 at the time. They walked quite a distance and there was a woods and he pulled her in the woods and raped her. He said, if you tell anyone, I will come and kill your family. So she was traumatized. She was afraid to say anything to anyone. And as a result, she was pregnant and she really didn't even know it at first, didn't even know what happened to her and hid it, didn't want anyone. Her, she had a stepmother. Her mother was not living. And so her stepmother just did nothing but cook and clean and take care of the kids and was no warmth, no nothing. It was just business as usual in a sense. Well, when she was about seven months, her stepmother saw that she was pregnant and she wanted her to have an abortion by this backcountry doctor. Oh my God, that far along? Yes. Oh my God. Well, and she really hid it for quite some time. She was so little. Yes. Uh huh. And she refused. Now this is a person that had no one to go to, no one to turn to, but refused. So that was really something. They found a man for her to marry like a day before I was born, but she had me in that shack with a hard dirt floor in a bed no electricity, no running water, and an outhouse out back. That's the name of the book. That's where she had you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Yeah. And there wasn't a doctor or anyone. And, you know, in the country, they were all used to midwifing and, and helping each other, but no doctor. I was born, and then about three months, she went to live with this man that she had married, and he just married her to get out of the draft because he didn't want to be drafted. She had another little girl 23 months later by this man who was her husband. This is a great story. I mean, she had nerve that I could not even envision doing myself, but I'll say that he worked, but he drank. 
and she was really tired of it. She had to pick cotton, pull these 50-pound sacks of cotton just to earn money to put food on the table for my sister and I. She wrote a letter to the draft. I love that part. (laughs) She said, you need to draft my husband because he drinks and he takes all of my cotton picking money. Oh, that's so awesome. In three months, he was drafted. (laughs) That's so awesome. Wow. She gave him up. Yeah. (laughs) True. And he was drafted. And she moved to East St. Louis, Illinois, which was nice at the time. All of her sisters, everyone left as soon as they could because it was really not a great environment of growing up. So she found a job as a waitress and worked while he was in the army. One of the incidents that changed my life and really created who I am today, my sister and I were visiting my grandparents in Arkansas. They moved to town by that time and had a nice house. And he came in his army suit, army uniform. He brought my sister, who was like two and a half, a doll and a pearl necklace and nothing for me. I went into the kitchen and I thought, what's wrong with me? And my aunt said, I mean, they were kind of country and didn't know any better. She said, honey, don't you worry. That's not your daddy anyway. How do you deal with that? But it was at that moment that I decided that I was going to be so strong, so successful, so everything that no one could ever ignore me again. And I became an overachiever. And it was that incident. And I say to people that most people have some sort of incident that happened when they're five or seven or nine or sometime that they're going to always be one way or never. I urge people to think about that because there usually is something that shapes your life a role model or a sister, an aunt or someone that you're going to model. What a defining moment. Oh my God. Yes. And actually it served me well because I became an overachiever. I mean, nothing could stop me. So actually everything that happens to us, there's something to win for it. And my mother always said, you can be a victim or you can be a victor. It's your choice. And that's a great thing. We do have a choice every single day. When he got out of the service, the father, he came by and he told my mother that he didn't want to be married. He didn't want the responsibility and he divorced her. So here she is with two little girls working in a a restaurant at nighttime, especially. And we were visiting my grandparents again in Arkansas and it was summer and my mother was coming to get us. And her co-worker said he had a car and he would take her. And they were on the way, which was like a three and a half hour drive. And they hit a concrete bridge entrance and so hard that it smashed them from the waist down. And there were no seatbelts at that time. It crushed her. She was 20 years old. It crushed her from the waist down. They had put her out of the car. It was horrible. They didn't think she was going to live. She was in the hospital for 13 months. Her legs were in the air. Every bone in her legs and her pelvis was broken. Oh my God. Think about that for a year being in the hospital. Who took care of you guys? Oh, we were at my grandparents. They didn't really want to take care of us, but they did. And I had an aunt there that helped. So that was sort of a saving grace too. Do you still remember that? 
Yes, very well. I remember going to see her. We saw her one time during the year and her legs were in cast and propped up in the air. Oh my God. That must have been hard for everyone. Yes, it was. But this is the thing which I really admire her that she never felt sorry for herself. She always thought about what she had to be grateful for. After 12 months went by, gangrene set in her left leg. The psychiatrist came in to tell her that they have to amputate her left leg. And she said, do what you have to do. I have to get out of here. I have two little girls to raise. Think about that. She was 20 years old. By the time she got out of the hospital, she was 21. Think she about was that. so young. Oh my God. I'm thinking back to where I was at her age and I had yeah. just graduated from college and I was so self-centered and had such a small world view. <laughs> Yes. She got out of the hospital and was on crutches. And she decided we were on welfare and we lived in the Gompers in a Section 8 housing and on welfare. And she decided she didn't want to be on welfare. So she found a government program that taught people with disability how to have a new career because she couldn't stand up. She only had one leg. And she went to school on a bus, on crutches for over a year, learning how to be a secretary in an office. Now, this is really amazing. Amazing. I mean, just even physically to be able to do that. Yes. Yeah. Well, think about if you, if you have one leg and it has to heal before you can even be fitter for a prosthesis. Right. I wanted to talk about the prosthesis thing too, because I know that unfortunately, if you have an amputation of that magnitude, the chances of living as long as she did is also very slim. That's true. Well, although being part amputated, I don't think that has as much to do with living long as it does if you have a disease of some kind. Yeah. Oh, I mean, she lost her entire leg. No, it was below the knee. Her Still, that's leg. that's a big surgery. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And two, did she talk to you about what it was like having to figure out the prosthesis or? Never. She just plonged along and, and didn't. And she was never unhappy. She always sang gospel songs all day long. I mean, it really soothed her. But Who never- sang them to her? How did she fall in love with gospel? Well, I mean, they when they were younger, they went to church and she went to church. I mean, she would take... I had a photo of my sister, one photo of my sister and I and her dressed up. We were at church. So she went to church all the time. Okay. Which was great that she had the music to soothe her. Yes, it really is. But never felt sorry for herself. It was just, you know, moving on, finding a way, no matter what. I say, it doesn't matter where you come from. It's what you decide you're going to do with your life. That's... I feel like easier said than done for some. That's true. It's very true. Did she have any bad days? Oh, uh, yes. I'm sure she did, but she didn't. Really, the only time that she cried when we were on welfare, it was Christmas time and we had nothing to eat. No, nothing. No presents. Definitely. And we only had a bed to sit on. We didn't have any table and chairs. We did have a refrigerator that you had to buy ice to put in it. So it's really kind of amazing of the hardships that people can endure. We had a knock on the door and a church down the street had brought two baskets. They heard about us and brought two baskets of food and presents and so many things. That's the only time she cried. 
Aww. She cried beforehand because she didn't have anything. And then when the people brought it, I mean, it was really touching. And that particular thing, and we always have things that impress us, that particular thing helped me to be very generous with, you know, at the store, I set up a wishing well to donate to nonprofits. So it's really, there are things that happen to us in life that really motivate us to either do more, be more, or make a difference. Definitely. That's really cool that you did that. Did you ever talk to your mom about what happened to her? Well, she told me a little by little, yes, but really what's there to tell? That's true. And I did ask you too, like if you've ever tried to find your dad or if you ever like curious about him or... I really had a name and knew where he lived, but it didn't interest me. Why would I? I mean, so one, you know... I think that proving my worth and all, I don't know if subliminal that uh, subconsciously that I would have been trying to impress him. I don't know. But he was really irrelevant in my life. You know, one of the things my mother always said to me, which was stayed with me all of my life, is that is you are God's own child by birth. That is so powerful. I love that she said that to you. I mean, what a beautiful response. Yes. What a special woman. I mean, truly. Yes. Have you ever met anyone else in your life that has a similar story to yours? No. I don't feel like any mother would say that, that went through that. True. That takes a very special person to feel that way. That's true. And really another wonderful thing is most children of rape are, you know, if this hadn't happened, you know, or if I didn't have you, I could have done it. She never felt that way. And she loved me unconditionally. I nearly choked to death when I was three months old. And it was at that time, I think that she decided, I mean, she loved me unconditionally. I was her pride and joy. Oh my God. And she was such a baby when she had you. I mean, you guys are really close in age. You could be almost sisters. Yes. Uh-huh. Did people ever mistake you guys for sisters or? Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel like you were able to kind of relate to her? Oh, I was able to relate to her. I talked to her nearly every day of my life and her life. Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, what did you guys enjoy doing together? We would travel. We would different places and take the kids. And I eventually got married and had two children. And my sister had gotten married and had two children also. Yes. That was another part that you mentioned in your book. Do you want to talk any bit about that? Yes. We'll talk about my sister just a little bit later. Okay. I will say that my sister was poor me and I didn't have this. I didn't have that. And in the book, you will find a lot of ways that I may do with so many things and creative so that I could have the best and look the best. She was a victim. Poor me. I didn't have this upbringing. I didn't have this. I didn't have anyone, whatever. And she became an alcoholic. She was young when she had her children also. And she became a bad alcoholic when she was really young and couldn't keep her children. So she had them bored with her sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And they, her and her husband got divorced. It was his sister or his brother. And so my niece and nephew lived with them. Well, one of the things that I had done, my husband and I had a fruit stand, our fruit and produce store, and we served a lot of peddlers. But this is the thing. I decided that I was going to help my sister. I was going to get an apartment for her in a house. 
and all so that she could have her kids. So I decided when I looked around, I wanted to see what I could do to earn extra money that wouldn't hurt my family or take away from my family because I didn't want to take away from my family to give to my sister. So I wanted to earn extra money. And my husband and I service, we had a huge cooler in the back and we service a lot of peddlers. And these peddlers, they would, they would call in the night before and pick up their order. They were making a lot of money. And I said, I can do that. I bought a big red truck and there was a little problem. I couldn't drive a stick shift. <laughs> but I learned. I learned. I rented an empty gravel lot at 111 and 162 in Pontoon Beach, Illinois, and picked up the produce every day and brought it and displayed it and had the kids in the neighborhood help me with the 100-pound sacks of potatoes. And I was in business. I built such a thriving business. I did that for five years, and I made a lot of money, more than I could have ever made in an office or doing anything else. You were resourceful. Yes. And I was able to, to get an apartment for my sister and her children and furnish it. That is so great. Wow. That Incredible. was a great experience though. It really taught me a lot, the, the fruit stand. It taught me that there is a better side to fruit, especially apples, than there are on the other side. And it's the same with people. There's a better side than the other side. And there's so many correlations that you can make with fruit and produce. Ooh, I love that. Tell me. Yeah. Well, the fact that one, I, I'm a believer and I speak on, on the five pillars of health and how to live at peak potential all of your life. It's nourishing your body. It's customer relationships. And that's the big thing that I learned. It's really how to treat customers and how to gain customers. It's really a lot. And I want to tell you, I really look good. I had this, I was a blonde with a straw hat and cut off jeans. I really look good. <laughs> In fact, more people turned around because women didn't drive big bread trucks at that time. <laughs> So they were taking double, double take. And so it was really, it was fun. And, and I learned a lot. I learned about marketing. I learned about selling, about produce. About, you know, tasting is really important. Letting people taste things. I sold more things by letting people taste than any other thing. So it's sometimes it's trying it. So you see what you like. Oh, yeah. I remember going to, you know, like Sam's Club or... I forgot the other one, but they used to cut up little samples and then it makes you want to buy the things. That's exactly right. And you always do. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. You had a lot of other creative ideas too that you had in the store. You want to talk about some of those fun things? Yes. I was looking for something to do after I closed the fruit stand and I, in 1981, and I asked a father and son that owned a chain of stores in Illinois, if they would like to partner with me to open a fruit and produce store, different kinds of sundries in Missouri. And they said, yes. Well, the son and the father had a lot more experience in that retail than I I did. So it was our decision that, that the son would run the store and I was going to be a silent partner. And that didn't work out. This was 1981, April, when we opened the store. I was not paying attention and I would urge every single person to pay attention to your business. Don't ever let anybody run it and not watch. 
this is really a valuable lesson. So everything that, that has happened to me has been a valuable lesson. At the end, October 30th, 1986, they handed me the keys, wanted a meeting, handed me the keys and said they were declaring bankruptcy. They had went bad. They sold their chain of stores and the person defaulted and a lot of other kinds of things. And they siphoned a lot of money from the store to hold up whatever. Again, I was not paying attention. It shocked me. I was traumatized because it came out of the blue. And I really didn't know what to do, but it was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. I was left in today's money with a million dollars in debt. Oh my God, that's terrifying. It really is. By the grace of God, I said that I'm not going to let those vendors hold the bag. I'm going to give it my all. Most people wanted me to declare bankruptcy, but I couldn't do that. I was going to give it my all or really die trying. Sometimes you could die trying. <laughs> so it's really, I think I don't know when to give up. That's a good trait. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you channeled your mother her strength her yes her strength and her determination and yes by the grace of god and that would be her thing little by little and i worked night and day i eventually turned the store around and made money did you ever and feel like quitting many times every day when i went to the bank i would go to the park and walk around the park and just pray <laughs> give me the strength <laughs> Did you get creative though? And in, in... Oh, very, very, let's talk about that. Okay. We'll talk about the fact that I made this store a success and I decided to open a second store because the lease was getting so high. And I opened a store three times the size as the original store. And it was sort of like starting all over. I got an SBA loan and all of these things. And there again, work, but it, I was so creative. I wanted to market to families with children and I built all over the counters, a toy train that was a G gauge, a bigger, that went around the entire store so that there would be an attraction. You had to go around the entire store to follow the train. I had a flat car that every day I would make a poster with what the special of the day was. And the mothers that came in had to go around the entire store. <laughs> So I was creative and didn't even realize that I was creative. I just did things because it was necessary. I had a farmer dressed up in jeans at the front door sitting on a bench. So a lot of really creative things. I also had a wishing well, as I said. And so each month I chose a different nonprofit and whatever monies was put into the wishing well, I would match it up to $400. Now, this was really a great move that, again, I was doing out of the goodness of my heart. It turned out really good, though, because I would say to the executive director, take a picture, but put it in your book, in your newsletter that they could donate money and they no purchase necessary. But I gained a lot of new customers because of it. When when we got done, after the month was over, we I had a check that you wrote, a big, big check that you wrote the amount, and I took a photo with the executive director, and they put it in their newsletter. And I got a lot of publicity for that. Just, I don't know why, but it was really creative, and I really wasn't aware of it at that time. Many things I did that I wasn't aware that it was creative. I just did it because it was really important. Yeah. How do you know too, like how to form a good partnership? What have you learned about that? I'm never going to have a partnership, but I will tell you this. <laughs>
that one of the most important things that I would like to share with everyone is forgiveness. Mm. You do not forgive that is really occupying your mind. I don't feel that I could have succeeded as massively as I did if I did not forgive those partners. It doesn't mean that you forget and you don't ever have to see them again. I never did. The thing of it is, though, it relieves you and it gives you peace. And it's really for you that you forgive others. And it's really important. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. But a lot of things I was really creative. I mean, cheese was one of the things. We had cheese that was packaged and it was expensive and I couldn't compete with the chain stores. And so I found a cheese distributor in Wisconsin and my manager and I went to Wisconsin and made a deal. And so I had a room built in where they could package cheese. It was cut. So I made a deal with a Wisconsin cheese grower, a cheese maker, that I would buy 3,000 pounds at a time each month. And we would cut, the girls would cut and slice cheese. And I sold cheese two, three, four, five dollars a pound cheaper than the chain stores by doing that. Yeah, that's really genius. Yeah, that was. And so a lot of things I did, I didn't realize that it was really, it was doing it because it was a need. Another really important thing I feel it was important. I saw that there were 30,000 Bosnians in St. Louis. And I thought if I can bring something from their homeland to make them feel comfortable, they, they could go to Germany for seven years and then were kicked out of Germany. And so they were in the United States. And so I thought, you know, if I could bring something from their homeland and make them feel welcome, more or less, I found an exporter in New York, an importer, and I bought a, a pallet of Cubanella peppers and different, they love peppers and different kinds of things that, and so I found out what they liked most by what sold and just enlarged that department and kept enlarging it. I also advertised in their language newspaper, which, you know, if you have a, your own language, then you will understand a lot more. One of the things that they really liked was Cubanella peppers, which is sort of a long green pepper. They loved them. And so I found a person in Chicago, Produce Row, and I brought in Cubanella peppers and they loved it. So I contracted with a farmer in St. Louis, Missouri, which I'm from, and I had him grow Cubanella peppers and I was able to sell them much less than I could have to begin with. And they absolutely loved it. So I built this solid base until I finally had a 16 foot of Bosnian groceries and many produce that they liked. Did you try all these things? Yes. What are the Cubanella peppers like? They're sweet. It's interesting. It really is. There are things that to eat, there are many things. You know, Frida's in Chicago have a lot of exotic things that we really don't know about or we aren't aware of. There are a lot of things in the world is not common to us. Are you into trying those things? Absolutely. Tell me some interesting foods that you've tried that most people probably haven't. Well, one of the things is ugly fruit. You know, this is people did not know what ugly fruit was, but it's sort of like a cross between a grapefruit and something else. And it really is good. You know, dragon fruit is another. And I'll tell you, one of the things, especially the the Italians loved it, is the prickly pears. 
Have you ever had any? No. Okay. Well, the Italians love prickly pears. So I found sources for prickly pears and I brought them in and they would buy them by the case when they were in season. Wow. So that's really interesting too. Like you grew your business by getting creative and And specialty items. Yes. And paying attention to the needs. That's so smart. Yes. And I will say that one of the most important things about business is how you treat your employees. I mean, they're associates. It is so important to treat them as if they're one. Actually, you have to treat them as well as you would your most prized customer because when they feel good about that, and everybody absolutely loved working for me. I had 80 employees. They absolutely loved it because I treated everyone. When somebody would do something really good, I would get on the PA and say, Pam gets a star in a candy bar for good customer service. And I would say, it's Judy's birthday. Wish her a happy birthday. And so all the customers would get into this. I also gave them authority and they had extra money in their box that if somebody was a little short, that they would give to them. And many times people were short. And so we would give them a dollar or two and they always came back. That's how you treat customers. They always came back and gave that dollar or two dollars back. Did you have any mentors? Not really. My mother-in-law was a good business person, but I really didn't have a business mentor. Wow. You just picked this up along the way? My air, actually. <laughs> One of the things I did, though, when I didn't know something, then I would take a course. For instance, you know, I would take more bookkeeping course. I would take more marketing courses. I would take a lot of courses because my goal was to be the best that I could possibly be. Yeah. Tell me about some of the things that you applied from the courses that you took. The marketing was really a a big thing. And and everything I did really more or less was marketing. The train was a major marketing. I had a PA that would announce the specials of the day too, that would say things that was recorded and it would go off every once in a while. So a lot of little things, but the little things add up to mean a lot. Backing up though, to treating your employees good. One of the things I did is I developed a profit sharing plan so that they were tapped into this is their store too. And everyone took such pride in the store, such pride. All of the people that work there, I mean, I couldn't make them go home. How did you find your employees? Uh, They came to me. Most of them, yes. There was only one person that was very negative and I had to let him go. And actually, I didn't do the job. (laughs) I don't like to do this. So I had my manager fire this person, but he complained all the time, was really critical and not happy with the other employees. They weren't happy with him. So it's really important for you to have a good culture also. And it really stems from the top. You know, when if you do what you say, they're going to do what they say. And if you give them acknowledgement that they've done a good job, I think this is so important. No, I know it is. Not just think. It is really one of the most important things. And to thank them. Yeah, I know my dad is going to love that and definitely agree with it. Are there moments that looking back that just stick out for you where you're like, I have made it? I was on a cruise and my assistant was trying to get a hold of me when we were at a stop and I had gotten an award. I was awarded an award, Woman Grocer of the Year nationwide. That's a big deal with one store, one store. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, it really was. What did you say to that? I was ecstatic and everyone around me was. I mean, it was really 
out of the blue too. I didn't know somebody had nominated me for this. Did you find out who that person was? Uh-huh. Oh my God. Wow. And what yeah. did that lead to? I went to Las Vegas and accepted it and it was really wonderful. And talk just a little bit about your husband and how he fit into all of this. Well, my husband was an icon in the produce business. He, we sold the store and he became a produce buyer for a wholesaler. And he actually, he bought the produce for the store, not for everything, but he had his hand on the pulse. And that was really a big, big deal too, because I had somebody who knew the prices and how everything was. So he was, and he was very supportive at first, though he didn't want me to do it when we first had the bankruptcy and all, you know, he didn't want me to do it because he thought it would just be too hard and maybe it was impossible when we started having success and all. I mean, he was certainly backing me and he was a big part of it. He was not there. He was a tough businessman and he did not handle people, right? <laughs> so he would just come in on Saturday he and just take a look and he would do the grocery shopping because I couldn't go from one side of the store to the other without being stopped five times. And so he would come in and do the grocery shopping every Saturday and just look around and make suggestions. Well, that sounds like it would be helpful though. It really was, yes. Actually, he was an icon in the business. People all over, when, when he passed away, he was on in the Packer, which is a produce news of honoring him. That's amazing. Yeah. What was it like being a woman in that industry and being a woman owned business in that time? Well, it was very, very few women own a grocery store, first of all, or produce. And the store was sort of like a Whole Foods, which Whole Foods is now. One of the really interesting things is when I first took over the store in 1986, this old produce manager said, she'll never make it. And I thought to myself, you watch me. So those kinds of things really inspire me to show people or to prove, don't tell me I can't do something. Yeah, I am just so inspired by that because again, I think when most people hear that, they don't have that reaction. That's true. I really, that's how I react to everything. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought there was another way to react. And I feel like you had a mom like that. Yes. Whatever challenge there was, she was up for it. She was going to go through it over, under, and around. Did she feel like there wasn't anything that she couldn't do? I don't know. I mean, I don't think she ever thought about it, to tell you the truth. She she just did things. I mean, she didn't know. I don't think so. Wow. Is there anything that you still want to achieve? Oh, many things, many things. I mean, really, I'm just beginning. I wrote this book, which is really good, and it's going to be a movie. So that's really something to look forward to. Actually, I'm talking to people anyway. That's so exciting. Can you talk about that? I don't like what this person has said. So I'm still looking for a really prominent producer and script writer because it really has so many parts to it that could be an amazing, amazing movie. And a lot of people have agreed with that. And some of the terms that some of them gave me, I didn't like it. And then they wanted me to be on hold for two years and while they raised money. And I, that was not my thing. I'm looking for a producer that has deep pockets, really loves the story. I mean, this is a must. They must love this story. And my goal is that to inspire and encourage millions of people worldwide, because it is something that is so strong, so inspiring, so overcoming, so many messages that it must be told. 
I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for you. I actually have somebody I can introduce you to. Oh, good, good. Yeah. So reading the book, I think, is part of it for any producer, for any person who wants anything to do with it. And and I really am also going to make an audio of it, too, because I I know most people do. But I'm writing another book now. Yes. You want to give us a little teaser? Yes, it'll be in the fall. It's called, It's a Good Day to Have a Good Day. It's Positivity Power by Tessa. So it's really different things, chapters. There'll be 12 chapters with positive quotes and and different things that you can do to turn around from being negative to positive. Is any part of that book about the diet that you've chosen no, to have? No. And that's another thing. I, I will back back up in a sense to tell you that I was the first in St. Louis to bring in organic foods. And I did it because there were people who had had cancer and were on chemotherapy that needed to eat. And so I really did it as kind of a favor, but I didn't make any money at all because if you don't sell it, then you have to throw it away. I decided that I was going to teach people what the benefits of organic. So I started speaking at churches and women's groups and different places to teach about organic and why it's so much better for you. And I taught myself also. Yeah, tell me some of the reasons. Well, the reason is you're so much healthier. And if you, and I am sort of health advocate, actually, instead of saying nut, I'm sort of a vegan now and I eat only organic foods. I take vitamins, but what you put in your mind. So there's a lot, there's five pillars to being healthy. What you put in your mind is as important as what you put in your body. So working on yourself every day to keep the neurotransmitters, the plasticity going and making new routes of positive is really important. So I am in great health and just love life. And so living at peak potential, there are methods to do it. I don't have any sugar and haven't had for many years, no sugar no cheese, no butter, no milk. Which is not the generation that you come from. No, no, not at all. But I'm really in great shape. And I think that it's because I've been really proactive in my health for many years. You know, I did eat antibiotic-free meat at one time, but, you know, I don't really need it. So I eat a lot of grains and lentils and beans and a lot of other things have protein shakes. Wow. Have your children picked up on that? Yes. My children are both very, very healthy, very work out, they're into eating right. Yes. Both of them. How do you get kids to eat like that? Well, I don't think they ate like that as much until they were an adult. So when they became adults, they saw the the, uh, benefits of it. Right. That makes sense. So you still did like the mac and cheese growing up? Yes. Mm -hmm. French toast sticks, lots of (laughs) kid-friendly foods. Yes. Yes. And I really wasn't a vegan at that time. And I don't like to identify myself as a vegan in a sense, you know, it doesn't mean that I won't try other different things as long as it's antibiotic free and hormone free. I am interested too, because not only did your mom have a situation where she was traumatized, but you also mentioned that happened to you in the book. How did you talk to your daughter or your children about being careful of those situations? I sold flowers on the corner, especially at Mother's Day 
Day and Easter. And there again, made a lot of money. This was in Illinois. And so I was on this back country road and I was lost. And there was this kid on a motorcycle and he had it turned over. And he asked if I would give him a ride just down the road. And I did. So I had all of this money that I had made from the selling the flowers. And I looked over and he had the weirdest looking look. I've never seen anything so scary. And it scared me. And I pushed him out of the car. And but he grabbed me. And so he started to rape me. And there was somebody walking down the road and he ran away. I mean, it, and that was traumatizing. Actually, I, I, you can't come behind me even today because I'll scream. And that was trauma. And it's really amazing what you can go through and get over it, not get over it, but go through it and survive. Yeah, I am so sorry. That is awful and terrifying. Did you talk to your children about that? Yes. Mm -hmm. And and I'm really grateful because my children are really great people and, you know, have a great work ethic and just really they're kind and thoughtful. What did you learn from being a mother? Hard. It's not easy. And actually, I wanted to be the best mother I could possibly be. So I found everything in books. So when they were young, I became um, a student of Adlerian psychology, even went to see Alfred Adler took a course in Illinois uh, at a university with him. And it was based on the book, Children the Challenge. And I became a study group leader in Children the Challenge in my city. It was really, it helped me. When you teach, you learn. So it helped me also when you say things over and over again, it helps you. It becomes a part of you also. I liked that part. You mentioned in the book that you wanted to be a really good mom. Do you think that stemmed from your mom? Yes, actually a lot of things. And my mother came to live with us. She worked at the girls' home in different places. But when she was off, you know, we had a whole apartment in our lower level for her. And she came and lived with us. And my kids absolutely loved her. So they had great experiences with their grandmother also. And how nice was it to have her perspective? Was wonderful. Yes. And they loved her. Absolutely loved her. Do you feel like our generation is missing out on that? Absolutely. Most of the time, parents are and children are in different parts of the world, and they're not in the same place anymore. And the family is so important to be around family. Yeah. What does legacy mean to you? Legacy means that you've made a difference in life. Wow. Yeah. I think that my dad will definitely agree with that. What makes a good mom? What are some of the things that you learned about that? Well, one of the things I learned was give them a choice instead of commanding, do this or do that, give them a choice. Would you like to do this or that? That was probably one of the most important things of all that I learned. Don't demand and say no, you know, giving them other choices, you know, instead of, and and it's according to their age. You can't reason with a (laughs) two-year-old at all. Yeah. And how did you juggle being a business owner and a mom? Oh, well, I didn't open that business. I mean, I worked in our store on and off. But I didn't open the store until they graduated from high school. Okay. Wow. So you did the mommy thing for a while. Yes. For a long time. I'm sure that they appreciated that. Yes. I hope they did at least. It's a big sacrifice. My daughter wrote one of the opening things. So you might want to go back and look at what she said. Yeah, I will. I mean, it was such a beautiful story. I'm so excited that you are working on turning it into a movie. Do you think you want to star in it? No, no. There will have to be uh, different actors 
because of different age groups, first of all. And I don't really know who, but you know, the producer would know who could portray it the best. Is an actress that you have in mind that you feel would play you well? Meryl Streep on the older part is really the greatest actress. You actually kind of look like her. Have you been told that? No, no one's ever said that. Wow, that's so cool that you would think of her. I just happen to think she's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's put that into the universe. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Let's tag her in this. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, like what has the process too been like for you reaching out to producers or screenwriters? Like, did you have relationships or you're just... Well, like, this is something I want to do. and but, Well, it really is. And so many people have said this, first of all, and there have been several people that have been very interested in it and it wasn't the right fit. I know that there will be a right fit of a right person. You know, it's really important to, to really connect. Just tell everyone that you would like to be connected. So when you tell everyone, then eventually it will happen. I definitely agree with that. Isn't it so amazing that if you really do put it out there, it plants the seed. It is. It is. Well, Tessa, I have just loved connecting with you. And if I can make you any introductions or help spread I I will take you up on that. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Let people know how they can find your book and connect with you. You can find the book on Amazon and it's from outhouse to penthouse. And you can connect with me. My website is tessagreenspan.com and my email is tessa at tessagreenspan.com. So if you just remember my name, you'll remember all of the sites. And by the way, one of the greatest things that I feel that I'm doing right now and have for years is that I post positive messages on Facebook every single day and people are welcome to follow me. I have nearly 5,000 people, but every day I post two or three, I have 70,000 positive messages on my phone that I've been saving, but I've been doing this now for years, for a a good eight years, posting positive messages. And what inspired that? Because my goal has always been, my goal is to live life full out, healthy, touch as many people as I possibly can in a positive way, to live a life of significance and to leave a legacy of positivity. That's my goal and has been for years. And so one of the ways I can, I can uplift people and there's never anything negative, but I can uplift and you'll have to look at my recent post. I was ziplining in 2018. And so I just posted that on my Facebook, but most of the time it's, you know, it's sort of the same thing, gratitude, but in a thousand different ways. That's so beautiful. Where were you ziplining? In Jamaica. Ooh, Jamaica is so beautiful. Yes, my daughter and I travel in 18 and 19 to all of Europe, all a lot of cruises. And so we went to Europe and, you know, Spain and Israel and Portugal. And yeah, what have you learned from traveling? I love it. I mean, I really love it. I love to see how other people live. It's really interesting, but it's really, that was something that, and my daughter and I both went, I mean, we was the two of us, which was really a great experience too for her. No travel fighting or anything? No, no. Because traveling can be stressful. Things don't always go as planned. Yes, it can. But no, no, we get along very well. Oh, that's a blessing. That's yeah. so much fun. <laughs> is there it any is. favorite positivity quote that you would want to leave us with? Or is there a question you'd like to ask my dad? 
Well, I, I would really like to, I mean, I'm, I admire that he's so successful and how he got to that and what his determination was, what made him decide that he was going to open a business and what made him decide, I mean, if he bought another one, what made him decide. And I want to compliment him on being such a good father. I so admire that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'm going to compliment you on being such a good mentor and a role model and a mom, because that is a tremendous blessing in this world. And we all need those. It's true. We all do. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. I love this episode with Tessa Greenspan. Tessa Greenspan also gave you the definition of legacy. And what is legacy to her? Is being able to help other people and spreading a positive message to as many people as you can. And that's how you leave your mark in this world. It's not about you. It's not about an individual. It's about everyone. It's about humanity. It's about a people. It's about your family. What an incredible story. She is the product of something terrible that happened. She's the product of a rape of a girl that was 14 years old that not only unconditionally loves her, but told her that she can be whatever she wants to be, that she can develop and learn and grow. She can be unstoppable because guess who also was unstoppable with all of the terror in her life and all of the tragedy was her mom. She was a champion. And with a mother like that, you would say, my gosh, if she had a couple of children and she demonstrated that type of fortitude, that type of love, that type of sincerity, that her children should be monsters out there. They should be tremendous overachievers with that type of story. And yet she has a sister, even though it's through another man, where poor me, woe is me, nobody loves me, can't do this, can't do that, everybody's against me, can't can't achieve, the cards are just stacked against me, nothing could possibly go right, attitude like that bottle becomes your best friend to numb you, to take the pain away from the miserable life that I might have. And you're talking about the daughter of the same mother. That is an unbelievable example. How can two people be so different from the same mother? You know that question from my own experiences. And what's fascinating is that this girl decided not to jeopardize her own family, but to get an extra job or extra work, help support and take in the disaster that occurred to her sister. What a hero. And also being conned out of business to have business partners where you go bankrupt and lose all your money. This happened to Marvin. And that's why I was dedicated in giving him a reprieve and having a continuum and follow his legacy and decided to dedicate my life to opening a business with my father and my mother too, where we supported our father or her husband that had been also flim flammed and put out of business twice to give him an opportunity to not only never give up, but to use his talents to become a success. Isn't that what it's about? And just like he treated her customers where they're always right, no matter what, and learning what their needs are and adjusting a niche product. He was willing to go to school and take many classes. He didn't care about having a degree. He cared about learning what school is really about. It's not about a piece of paper. A marriage isn't about a piece of paper. It's whether you have a relationship and a partnership that you're able to work together and be able to raise a family and achieve and where, where everyone's there to benefit from it. That's what it's about. What's really fantastic is that 
she also decided that not only do I want to have and take care of and customers in a unique way and sell unique products, I also want all the people that work for me to work with me and to have 75 employees and treat them like family and where you treat them with respect and you give them opportunity. We had also a wonderful benefits and a profit sharing and wonderful gatherings, whether they were picnics or Christmas parties. And we were all worked hard to succeed together. That's what it's about is spreading positiveness and giving everyone an opportunity to grow within your organization and to feel part of the winnings. So you're right. I just love this episode. He was able to take all of these adversities and all of these things. Yes, it's based on need, but you have to think outside the box where she's a problem solver, but she does it with compassion. She does it with love, does it with making sure that everyone's along for the ride. And even a woe is me, someone that has a bad attitude and doesn't like the cards that she's been dealt, Still, he has a a way of doing something maybe even better than me, being able to forgive people that have stolen from her or abused her or been negative to her and try to even uplift them as well. Amazing. An amazing story. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 